Good morning. Welcome to all of you, both those gathered here and those online. So grateful that we can come together and meet with God and to sing His praises, aren't you? Uh, it's a wonderful joy we have. <coughs> they were getting stuck on the boat. Wait a minute while I get everything set up. Okay, I'm told I can preach now. Um, <clears throat> for those of you that maybe aren't aware, we have been making our way over these last weeks through the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, we saw in chapter 1 that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and there to preach what he gave him to preach. And like so many of us, Jonah wanted to get a vote on that, on whether he felt like that mission was appropriate or not. And in his case, after the, all the votes were tallied, the results came in and the answer was, no way, Jose. I'm not going to Nineveh. I don't like them. I don't want them. And so he went down to Joppa. And while in Joppa, he found a boat. And the Scripture says he went down into the boat. And there he made his way to a place that was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. God sends a storm along trying to get Jonah's attention. Didn't work. Jonah's sleeping down in the belly of the great boat that he's on. Finally, they discover he's the cause of the storm and the sailors throw him overboard and he gets swallowed by this great fish over here. And one of the things that we saw in just the first chapter is that whenever we walk in disobedience to the things of God, our lives automatically begin to spiral downward. And in some of our cases, we have seen that again and again in our lives. When we stop heeding the voice of God, when we stop following Jesus, we wonder why our life seems to be falling apart. We saw last week that Jonah goes to Nineveh and there he preaches the gospel to that great city Nineveh. And amazingly, the Scripture tells us every single person responded to God. They, as it were, got saved, born again, turned their hearts towards God. And this ought to be like tremendous news. I mean, think about it. Here's this prophet who goes to this great city of about a million, million and a half people, he preaches the gospel, they all receive the good news. I mean, this ought to make anybody excited. If this happened today, he would be invited to every major Christian conference that was in this nation. If this were today, this would be like a, um, this would be like a Gatorade over the head kind of moment. This is the kind of thing where Mel Gibson's calling him saying, I want to make a movie about this. It's that kind of deal. But is that how Jonah responded? Look at Jonah chapter 4. And honestly, you would think Jonah could have ended with chapter 3. Everybody gets saved. It's good news. Let's end the book. 
But we have a chapter 4, and it's there for a reason, so it probably behooves us to actually look at it. So look at Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. I want you to see Jonah's reaction as a city equivalent about to the size of Washington, D.C. And every person got saved. What's Jonah's reaction? Look at it. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Apparently, Jonah didn't get the memo that this was good news. The, the Hebrew word for exceedingly displeased is the Hebrew word ra'a. Ra'a. And it means to be afflicted by evil. Uh, we might say that someone's soul is vexed. In the same way that Peter tells us that righteous Lot's soul was vexed or oppressed by the immorality he saw around him. So, in effect, in Jonah's mind, the city getting saved, turning to God, was so evil, so immoral in his mind, so wrong, that he actually got vexed or oppressed in his soul. And then the word angry is the word karah. And it means to flare or to blaze up with fire. Basically what it's saying is that when Jonah looks back at the last 24 hours and Nineveh's turning to God, what he saw was so morally disgusting, it repulsed him. It made him want to throw up. He was that upset about the whole thing. What, what's interesting though, is that before Nineveh had heard the Gospel, their sin displeased God. But once they heard the Gospel and turned to God, it displeased Jonah. And then he says in verse 2, So he prayed to the Lord. It's interesting to me that in all four chapters, there's only two times that we see Jonah praying. The first was from the belly of the whale when he was in trouble. And the second time was right now. He prayed when he's displeased with the results. And it made me wonder if sometimes that's the way it is for us. Do you find that you pray more often when your life is in trouble? When you're in the belly of the great fish? That you pray when you're desperate for help? Or do you pray when you don't like the situation you're in? Do you find that you pray more often when you're upset about the things going on around you? Like the pandemic. And you pray more now than you used to because you're upset. In other words, is your prayer life, is your relationship with God based more upon crisis than upon intimacy? Because that seems to be the way it was for Jonah. Verse 2, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, he's saying, that's why I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, you've got to get this point, because this is actually the theme of the whole book. What Jonah is saying to us, Jonah, this Old Testament, 
fire and brimstone kind of preacher. You know, the kind of guy who used to stand out on the streets with sandwich board signs saying, repent or go to hell. That's Jonah. But this Old Testament prophet who didn't know about Christ yet, hadn't gotten to the New Covenant yet, this Old Testament prophet knew something about God that many Christians today don't get. He knew that God was, what's it say, uh, a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He delights in this. And I'm wondering, is that how you know God? I don't mean, is that how you know God intellectually as you're sitting here right now? What happens when several things in your life go wrong at once? What are your internal thoughts about God? Do you find coming out of your mouth words like, well, I guess God's getting back at me for something. How do you think about God in those times when things just aren't going right? Because that's what's coming out of Jonah. Jonah says, I knew you would do this. And that's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. Because I didn't want Nineveh to get mercy. But I knew you couldn't help yourself, God. You're a merciful God. And he says, Now, O Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live with this result. He's angry. But take note, he's angry at God. He's angry that God forgave Nineveh and did not bring judgment down upon them. So what Jonah is basically saying is, God, I want you to look at this. Don't you realize how evil Nineveh is? Haven't you seen what Nineveh and the Assyrians have done to your people? God, I appreciate the fact. I'm grateful that you gave me a second chance, but I am never, ever, ever going to give Nineveh a second chance. They don't deserve mercy. You got to get this. Jonah was not some kind of weak, namby, pamby, squishy, marshmallow kind of guy. Jonah is a man who's angry. And he's angry at God. And I wonder how true that is of us today. How many of us are honestly humbled and grateful that God has forgiven us our sins? How many of us are grateful that we are forgiven and that we actually have relationship with God? How many of us also have somebody that we know of that we don't think deserves, we don't think is worthy of God's forgiveness because of how they've acted? There are people around us, and, and for some of us, I'm not talking about the big ones like Hitler and Mussolini. I'm not even talking about the really big ones like President Trump or Governor Cuomo. I'm talking about people around you, people that you're connected to that have hurt you so badly that you don't think they deserve forgiveness and mercy. Maybe for you, it's people who should have been your greatest protectors and cheerleaders, your parents but they made you constantly feel unworthy. Like you were beneath their care. I can remember growing up for me personally thinking that my father made it very clear that the son he loved died and I was not a good fill-in at all. And I wonder, is that the way your parents made you feel? Or maybe for you it's not your parents, maybe it's some business person who actually did you wrong, ripped you off, I've told you before about some friends of ours who are dear, dear, God-loving people. But they went to a, a business in a mall 
that they actually thought did them wrong. And when we would go with them, we would walk down the aisles of the mall, every time we got to that store, they would literally growl out loud because they felt like that store never deserved mercy or forgiveness. Or maybe for you, it's former friends. And they spread rumors about you. They slandered your name. And now, you're angry. You're bitter. You're resentful. You're hurting inside. And like Jonah, you don't think they deserve mercy. And maybe it's hard for you to even admit, but maybe you're not just angry at people. Maybe you're actually even angry at God a little bit. I mean, God was able to stop all of that from happening to you, but He didn't. And inside, there's a little bit of anger. Like Jonah had, there's anger towards God. God, this just isn't right. I want mercy for me, but I don't want mercy for them. They don't deserve it. They're unworthy of it. You see, when, when we get honest enough, we begin to admit, God forgiving me, God giving me mercy somehow feels right because God is a merciful, forgiving God. He should forgive me. But when it comes to somebody else and he forgives Jean after what she did to me, somehow we think that's not mercy, that's injustice. That's wrong. God shouldn't forgive them. Some of you have heard over the news that God has forgiven some people and now these people who were immoral people, stars of Hollywood, are now serving God and maybe they're not doing it perfectly in your mind and you feel like, God, I think we should have reserved judgment a little bit longer. They don't deserve mercy. We do the same kind of thing that Jonah did. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's not Jesus making forgiveness a work that you have to do in order to get forgiven. It's saying that if you don't forgive, it's only a sign that you yourself haven't received fully the forgiveness that God has for you. That you desperately need forgiveness in your own soul. Jonah's not interested in forgiveness right now. He's upset because he believes Nineveh deserves judgment, not mercy. Verse 4, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? And if you jump to the end of the chapter, the end of the chapter, God tells you that there were 120,000 people in Nineveh that didn't know their right hand from their left hand. Basically, he's talking about little toddlers, little children like our, our Izzy, who doesn't know what their right hand or the left hand is. So if you take that, 120,000 little children, and you add both sets of parents, and maybe a sibling or two, because they often believed in bigger families, and then single adults, you probably are looking at between a million and a million and a half people. And Jonah's mad because a million people got saved because they didn't deserve it. A time of celebration for Jonah became a time of grief. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. 
What do you mean what would become of the city? Jonah is waiting, hoping that somehow God would reverse his decision and that he would finally rain down fire, lightning, floods, earthquakes, hurricanes upon that evil city. Have you ever in your heart and mind hoped that somebody would get their comeuppance? Maybe it's somebody today. Somebody who has a view about masks that you don't agree with. Maybe they think you should wear masks and you don't agree with that. You think masks are unnecessary. Have you ever in your heart and in your mind thought, you know, with all of their mask wearing, they think they're so righteous, so good, I almost hope they get COVID and that'll teach them a lesson. Or maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe they won't wear masks and you hope, I hope they get it so they'll know they're not as right as they think they were. That's the kind of thing that Jonah's doing. He's sitting outside of the city hoping that finally God will come to his senses and judge this evil city. He doesn't like the results he sees, so he leaves the city. He goes outside of the city, puts down his cabana chair, puts his feet into the sand, has his little umbrella drinks, and he's just waiting. Waiting for judgment from God. Verse 6. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it so happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. God prepared in chapter 1 a storm. And then in chapter 2, he prepared a fish. Now he prepares a plant and a great worm and an east wind that would beat down upon his head unmercifully. All of that God did for Jonah to bring him to his senses. And here's the point of the whole book, which is why I think we have chapter 4. I've agonized over this, trying to find a way to say it, and I don't know that this is the best way, but let me just say it as best as I can know. We want to serve a God that does what we think is right. And when He doesn't, we believe we're justified in getting mad at Him and stopping from serving Him anymore. We want to take our ball and go home. And I've watched it over the years again and again. People have walked in the doors of the church and they've sat right where you're sitting now. And they've raised their hands in worship and they've expressed their love and commitment to God. But then something happened in their life that they don't agree with and they don't like. And they stop coming and they stop serving God and they go back to their old way of life. And it could be something like, and I've seen this happen, where you lost a loved one that you prayed that God would heal. And when God didn't heal and they die, you decided, I'm not going to serve God anymore. Or maybe for you, it's God could have protected you and He didn't, so He's unworthy of your worship. Or maybe it's just as simple as He didn't give you that raise and promotion that you deserved, and He gave it to somebody else who wasn't deserving. And you made the decision I'm not going to follow a God like that. And here's the point of the book. We believe we're in a position to determine what's right and wrong in life for us and for those around us. 
And when God doesn't follow our agenda, we feel justified in getting angry. Remember, God asked Jonah, do you think it's right for you to be angry? And what was Jonah's response? Absolutely. And many of us are the same way. We want to serve the God of the vine, not the God of the worm. You see, Jonah didn't do anything to make this plant grow up. But he was grateful for it and he liked it. But the truth is, when God took the plant away, God made the plant and God took it away. Jonah got upset about it. And God says to Jonah, wait a minute, why are you upset? You didn't do anything to create it. Why are you upset that now I who did create it takes it away? And Jonah, you didn't do anything to create Nineveh. What does it matter to you that I would show mercy to Nineveh? We are a people like Jonah who believes that life is about me. It's not about Nineveh, it's about me. It's about what I think is right, what I think is wrong, what I think should happen and what shouldn't happen. He wants his wants and his desires. And so he sits out the city and he waits for God to bring judgment. And when God brings judgment upon a plant that Jonah had nothing to do with, he's just as angry. He's angry over the plant and he's angry over Nineveh. It's just a dumb plant. But that's a city with a million, a million and a half people. And Jonah felt justified in being angry. My question to you this morning, very simply, is have you made life all about you? about what you wanted, what you don't want? Have you found yourself getting angry at God because of what's going on in our nation and in the world? This isn't what I expected would happen. This isn't what I want to happen. It doesn't seem right. Why do we have to do this? Have you found yourself getting mad at God? Arguing with God? Arguing with people over things? I thought again and again over these last months, however long it's been now, four or five months that we've been involved in this, I thought again and again, people seem to think they know what's right. They want to argue with doctors and with scientists. They say, well, I've got one. For every one that you can find that agrees with you, I can find another one or ten that doesn't. And yet you think you know enough to argue with these people and then to argue with God about what's right and what's wrong. And when we, like Jonah, don't get our way, we throw a tantrum. We take our ball and go home. Look at verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, Yes, it's right for me to be angry, even to the death. But the Lord said, You've had pity on the plant for which you've not labored, nor made it grow, which came up at night and it perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Jonah got angry about losing something he did nothing to create. And God's trying to bring him to his senses and say, you did nothing to create Nineveh either. You have no more right to be angry over the plant than over Nineveh. And Nineveh is full of people. Ought you not be grateful that God's showing mercy to people? Most of us think we ought to get a vote. We ought to have a say in what God does or doesn't do for me and for my family. Maybe for you, it's that God hasn't handled things the way you thought he would. Maybe it's your children have wandered and you're angry about it. You feel like, God, I've done everything I knew to do right. You promised that my children would never leave you. 
but they're wandering. Maybe for you it's your job situation. Maybe there's other things that you're upset about. I thought several times over these last months as we've dealt with this pandemic, the COVID virus, I thought people are, are, are angry. It's not just that they don't like what's going on. They're angry. They're bitter. And they want to argue politics. And yet, when politics were brought to Jesus and the disciples said, I want you to overthrow Rome, the politics of the government of the day, Jesus said, don't you understand that I've come to preach a kingdom? To bring a kingdom? And my kingdom is not of this world system? This isn't about politics at all. It's about the kingdom of God. And what an opportunity you and I have to demonstrate the kingdom of God to those people around us every day. To show the love of God, the mercy of God, rather than getting mad and arguing politics. That's kind of what Jonah wanted to do. He wanted to say, God, this isn't right. I want you to do things my way. The big issue of the book is Jonah was disillusioned with how God was choosing to run the affairs of his life. And Jonah didn't like it. He thought it was downright wrong. My question to you this morning is, even when you don't like things hard, how things are, can you position yourself to ask God, God, where are you in all of this? And what are you doing in all of this? And get on board with God. Instead of arguing politics, instead of arguing all the right and wrong of stuff, how about we just say, God, what are you doing in this? And what are you doing in me in the midst of all of this? I thought often during these weeks about the time in Joshua's life when Joshua was getting ready to go to battle and he came across a, a guy who was dressed in armor. Didn't know who he was. And so he challenged him and he said, are you on my side or are you on my enemy's side? And this being, who ended up being the angel of the Lord, the, the commander of God's army said, I'm on neither side. I'm on the Lord's side. And my question to you this morning is, whose side are you on? Are you on the masker side or the non-masker side? Are you on the safe distancing side or the not safe distancing side? Are you on Governor Cuomo's side or President Trump's side? Whose side are you on? And my hope is that somewhere you, the people of God, would say, I'm on neither side. I'm on God's side. I want what God wants. Not what politics is demanding. God and His kingdom are above all nations, all governments, and all politics. Nations rise and nations fall, but His kingdom is eternal. Because the King is eternal. So how about we stop arguing and fighting over things and getting mad at people and actually breaking relationship with people. Dividing people. I mean, I read Facebook the same as you. There are people saying, don't go to this church, go to this church, because this church is a God-fearing church. That one's not God-fearing because they wear masks. Do you really want to cause division? Because God's Word tells us to avoid people who cause division. Can we not be the people of God? The people of God, not the people of politics. We've made life too often about us and about our wants and our expectations. But life is not always about us. Sometimes life is about Nineveh. And you say, what's Nineveh? Nineveh is those people you see when you go outside of the doors of this place. Nineveh are those people who are sitting around you. 
Nineveh is our opportunity to show the mercy and grace of God. Nineveh are the liberals and the conservatives. Nineveh are the Republicans and the Democrats. Nineveh is CNN and Fox News. Nineveh is our world around us that we have the opportunity to declare the love of God. Yes, God was concerned for Jonah, which is why he gave him a mission in the first place. It's why he sent a storm to try to get his attention. It's why he sent a great fish to save him from drowning. It's why he gave him a second chance. But God is also concerned about Nineveh, that great city that's around you every single day. What an opportunity we have to believe God that during the season when people are angry, people are upset, people are scared, we have the ability to perhaps bring something of God's heart to them to bring revival to our land. Wouldn't it be better, a better result, that we actually have revival in these days instead of division? That's what I think Jonah is about. Now, when I started, I didn't think that. I, I, was, I wasn't thinking anything about all this. I was just thinking Jonah would be a good book. I felt like God wants to do it. But the more I read it, the more I think this is such a relevant book to us. Let's believe God for revival instead of division. Would you stand with me? I want to end by just saying very clearly, life is not about you. That's true. It's not about you. Yes, it is about you. But it's not only about you. It's not all about you. Life is also out there about them. And our ability to voice and demonstrate the love of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God, and how God loves to relent from doing harm. That's the God that we serve, a God of grace, mercy, and kindness. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that He's shown you mercy? He's shown you forgiveness? Well, they need to hear that same message. This, this pandemic isn't the judgment of God. It is an opportunity for God to turn the hearts of people towards Him. And let's tell them that. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, Lord, I've thought again and again over these last few weeks that when we started this, I really did think this was a nice story we could go over from the Bible and learn some lessons. But it's more than that. It's a book about our perspective about You, about the world, and about ourselves. And it's so pertinent to our situation today during this COVID-19 pandemic, that we have an opportunity, rather than to be angry and to withdraw from people that we don't agree with or we don't like, we have an opportunity to show the love of God, the mercy of God, to everyone with whom we come in contact. Instead of angrily uh, arguing with people over at Walmart about having to wear a mask to go into the store, we have an opportunity to smile even through our masks, to let our eyes smile and let them know we care about you. We're not here to set up a ruckus and fight with you about anything. We're here to show the love of God. Help us to do that on a day-by-day -day basis with every single person with whom we come in contact. That we be purveyors of the kingdom of God, not the politics of the United States of America or of the world. The kingdom of God which reigns forever and ever because King Jesus always sits upon the throne. And Lord, where we have been tempted 
to make it personal only about us, to be self-centered and selfish. We repent of that, Father. Give us eyes, hearts, and minds to see the world the way you see the world. That's our cry today. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. And again, I'm going to ask, just like last week, that you would remain in your seats until the ushers come and dismiss you, and then you feel free to go on outside and have all the conversation you want, okay?